beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not, be, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, name, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom There will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, with her who also conceived this, oh, sorry, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. The angel Gabriel tells Mary important things about the son God is about to conceive in her, a son who will be incredibly more and do incredibly more than any previous human. This son will be called son of the most high, it says in verse 32. He will be great, it says in verse 32 as well. And will be a son who rules while he sits on David's throne. Again, verse 32. But this time, with this son, David's throne will not be abandoned. It will not be dismantled. For Jesus will be a son who rules for a forever kingdom. Verse 33. The setting of the scene, first of all is a powerful spirit coming visibly and audibly to a human and bringing her a message from God. This angel has pierced pierced the veil of separation, you might say. It was unsettling. Verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled. That's understandable. I think we would all be terrorized, really, in our hearts and souls if an angel had come to us. We wouldn't know, is it for my good or to do me evil? Every one of us, we'd come unraveled 
but by God's grace, we'd, we'd become unraveled if faced by the heavenly. For every man has unclean lips. We all have feet of clay. Every man's conscience gets pricked, and we doubt because our hearts often deceive us. If there's one thing I am sure of, it's that I'm not from heaven, but from the ground. And the majority of me, the majority of me, would sooner keep it that way. At least when it comes to experiencing spirits right here in the material seeming world. Not that the realms are ever truly separated. But the news to Mary is good. Indeed, the angel says things to comfort her. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 28. And, and do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 30. Nevertheless, in my thinking... It's best that a piece of clay keeps still before this potter's tool. The beauty of the whole encounter is God's message to Mary, isn't it? Okay, he tells her about the son she will carry. Here's what the angel says in verse 31. You will conceive in you in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So, she doesn't get to pick the boy's name. No fun in that for her. God picked the name Jesus. Jesus, it means God, our Savior. It, it is the same as the Hebrew name Joshua from the Old Testament. So a godly mother... She'll be able to live with that name, I'm sure. But what is the boy going to save the people from? God our Savior. What is he going to save the people from? We, we find that out from the angel by what he tells her fiancé. Okay, in another part, the angel appears to Joseph. We read about it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He told Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people. There you go again. He will save his people from their sins. Ah. So Jesus was being given to Mary and he was going to save people from their sins. But we keep going here. The angel also says in verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. That's quite a jump. Jesus is not merely Mary's son, but he is God's son. Jesus tells us so himself. Okay, it's why the 
religious leaders wanted to stone him to death at one point, for they determined when he said these things that I'm about to read that he spoke blasphemy with these words, John chapter 10. Jesus was discussing with them how he would be able to keep his sheep from harm. He would keep his sheep safe. And then he says in John 10, 29 and 30, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Stone him, kill him. This is the incarnation. It's the beauty of the season. Jesus did not rise up, no. He did not rise up from the dirt like you and me. But he came down from heaven. God the Father sent his Son from beyond the birds, beyond the stars, and beyond the heavenly host. The Holy Spirit conceived him in Mary's womb. Now, about 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah told us about this child who was coming. That he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each title is great. To many out there, The concept of the incarnation is a problem for it requires, it somehow requires a distinction between God the Father and his Son while calling both God. They believe we Christians are polytheistic, that we believe in more than one God because of it, that we believe in three gods. No, Christians do believe that Jesus is one of three. The triune God, however, the three in one, the one in many, the many in one, have no conflict here. Jesus, the Son of the Most High, and the Father, and the Spirit are one God. And eternal. He has forever been. Which brings me to another thought then. Jesus has been a son to his heavenly father for all eternity. It has always been. The son did not originate at his earthly birth. But he is always the son. Now, you have to follow that. For all eternity, Jesus, the Savior Son of God, has had a father. For all eternity, the son has been the son. Our whole concept of family originates not here, but in eternity in the Godhead. As an eternal son, therefore, Jesus could teach us the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, 
are those who turn and become like children. Jesus taught that. He knows this because he is a submissive child who loves his heavenly father and seeks always to do the father's will. That is how the son of the most high is. And his father always testifies of him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. In John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Oh, that we would be so humble and obedient. And so we should heed the advice of the Son who told his disciples in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So much for doing things your way. Congregation, do not fool yourselves and think you can label yourself a Christian but then live according to your own compulsions, your own lusts, ambitions, passions, and the like. Instead, learn to be a child like Jesus, to love the Heavenly Father and submit yourself and your life to His will as a son or daughter. It is your purpose And for the Godhead, it's always been the purpose. Doubtless, Jesus' sonship is more important to him than all other loves and duties. It is his great satisfaction. Remember the incident of the 12-year-old Jesus. They had lost him after a feast in Jerusalem, for he had stayed behind, and they found him in the temple answering questions from the religious thinkers. Luke 2, 48 records it this way. And his mother, Mary, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? For a second, you might question Jesus' dutifulness, right, to his earthly parents. Was he out of bounds? Should he have said something? Son, why have you treated us so? Perish the thought. You do no wrong when 
you perfectly comply with God. If anything, it was Mary's short-sightedness or lack of faith as a daughter that has made this mistake. So then, this son is not simply Mary's son, but God's son. And it also says in verse 32 there, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Surely you know I'm big on that, that we are big on that. Jesus was to be given the throne of his father, David, okay, in the human lineage. He was of the line of David, to be sure, and a member of the tribe of Judah, and a son, therefore, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Mary, his earthly mother. Furthermore, God promised David a son. David, a son, who would rule forever upon his throne. The son of David is the offspring of the woman mentioned in the garden, savior of the people we find out here today, upon whose shoulders Isaiah said, the government shall rest. He's the prince of peace, mighty God. But this throne of David that the Lord Jesus takes, this throne is unbound by the earth. It's it's not bound by the earth. It gets positioned in the heavens. We know Jesus rules from on high, exalted to the right hand of his father. When Pontius Pilate, you know, earthly ruler, kind of calling the shots, when Pontius Pilate questioned Jesus, asking, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered this way, my kingdom is not of this world. If any kingdom were of this world, sorry, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. John 18.36. You might say it's better than any kingdom that could be established upon an earthly throne. Mary's son is ruling, and it is the greatest kingdom. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, a chapter you should become thoroughly familiar with if you aren't already. According to the Apostle Paul, Jesus will continue to do this, continue to reign, rule, from that right hand of the Father, and he will do so until all enemies are put under his feet. The final enemy to be destroyed will be death, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and 55. Verse 33 says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? They still live, in fact. Abraham's household, which began in Genesis, continues to exist, and the heir of all of it is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 2. 
being God's, being God's firstborn, Jesus inherits the entire household, everything. Therefore, when the angel tells Mary that her son will rule, rule over the house of Jacob forever, he is in no way, he is in no way limiting Jesus' rule to the merely physical descendants of Jacob, but the household of Jacob, which we should know is ever-expanding to all the nations, and it's never-ending. The angel tells Mary there will be no end to his kingdom. This is not a, a time-durational term, but it, but it not only, let me put it that way, but it is also meant to convey the never-ending ethnical and geographical extension of Jacob's household. All nations, all tongues and languages, everywhere. And that pairs, it pairs with what Isaiah wrote, quote, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 9-7. The Apostle Paul, in that same Romans, uh, sorry, this is the Romans chapter, sorry. The Apostle Paul writes joyfully of the Gentiles' inclusion. Gentiles are all non-Jews. Dutch, Swedish, Norwegian, German, African. He quotes Isaiah, Paul does, in Romans 15, 12, saying, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And that's you and me. We place our hope in Mary's son too. Indeed, he, he is no mere human. He's the son who saves people from their sins. He's the son of the Most High. He's the son of David who rules from his father's right hand. And he is the son who rules forever over the entire and ever-expanding house of Jacob. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that we would be uh, eager, eager, citizens of your kingdom, eager sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, and that our life would reflect that in our work, in our homes, in our conversations, in our worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.